Welcome back, everyone, to Healthcare Politics with Steve Larchuk. This is Steve Larchuk, healthcare advocate and attorney. Many thanks to our national sponsor, Pair Networks, world-class web hosting and domain registration. Learn more about them by going to pair.com. That's P-A-I-R.com. This program is devoted to the one issue which impacts every American, and that is health care. Our mission is to raise the level of discussion, and this week we have another important guest and an important show. But first, a little bit of health care news. Congress adjourned for the Easter holiday without taking any action on health care. Congress and the president are still licking their wounds over the failure of Trump-Ryan care uh, that failed so badly that the Republican-controlled House of Representatives did not even bother to have a vote. Uh, Meanwhile, close observers of the White House uh, Musical Chairs Department are mesmerized by the ascendancy of the president's daughter, Ivanka, to a powerful advisory role in the West Wing, where she joins her husband, Jared Kushner, who is already there when he's not uh, flying to Iraq. Uh, This, while the air steadily leaks out of the balloon of chief political strategist Steve Bannon, who was unceremoniously booted out, of the National Securities Principles Committee. Uh, and this is important healthcare news because it must be remembered that both Ivanka and Jared were AWOL uh, on a ski trip while the recent Trump Ryan care battle was raging. So rather than being associated with that disaster, the first daughter and first son in law simply went on strike, uh, which, as we all know, is the right of every American to go on strike. Uh, it is also important to remember that it was Jared Kushner who brought the progressive health care reformer Zeke Emanuel to the White House three times to help explain and defend the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act. So plainly, neither Jared uh, Kushner nor Ivanka Trump wanted their fingerprints on the disaster that uh, we call the Trump-Ryan health care plan. According uh, to the most recent Kaiser Foundation poll, agree that Congress and the President should do whatever it takes to improve the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act to make it work. Only 19% believe Congress and the President should do everything they can to assure that the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act fails so it can be replaced later. Uh, Interestingly, a recent Standard & Poor's analysis concludes that contrary to the Republican uh, doctrine and the President's claims that the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act is in a death spiral, in fact, the insurance markets have stabilized. And this is according to Standard & Poor's. This isn't some Democrat saying this. This is uh, these are your friends from Wall Street saying that everything is uh, stabilized, you know, don't panic, everything's fine. Other studies have confirmed that where states have agreed to accept the federal money to expand Medicaid to everyone uh, at 137% or less of the poverty level, the private insurance markets have coincidentally been able to hold the line on pricing. That helps explain why states like Indiana actually saw their insurance premiums go down last year by 3%. That's right, went down last year. Last week, the Senate abandoned uh, its 60-vote minimum rule for the confirmation of a Supreme Court justice, and in the process, the question arises whether the Democrats will be able to stop 
a wholesale repeal of the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act if the Republicans are willing to forego a, a filibuster on that too. You know, a lot of people said, well, don't worry, we can always filibuster a wholesale repeal. So uh, it's hard to tell. We are going to be taking a break here shortly, and when I come back, uh, it'll be a commentary talking about some of the real important things that have been happening with regard to uh, health care uh, movement towards single payer. Many signs are pointing in that direction. Uh, we had an op-ed uh, in the New York Post called Why Trump Should Embrace Single Payer Health Care. And interestingly enough, that was written by our guest later in the show, a conservative and a very strong Trump supporter, Professor Francis Buckley of the George Mason University Antonin Scalia School of Law. That's right, Antonin Scalia School of Law. And he's saying to the president, we really should look into single payer. Uh, we also uh, will review his comments at length in that op-ed. And, but just as a little bit of a tease, here's one of the sentences. The simplest way to do this, which is to say deliver on the president's promises, the simplest way to do this is universal health care on the Canadian model. Now, this is a, a very conservative writer who's saying that. And so we're going to be talking about that during the commentary. And then after the commentary, we're going to be interviewing uh, Professor Buckley, it's going to be a great show, I think one of our best. So join us. Talk to you in a moment. One of the dirty little secret all over this land. A free market monster with invisible hands. Hope you enjoyed your meal. And I just want to say, he's lucky to have a brother like you. Lucky? Caring for my brother is far from easy. But he's a part of me, like my arms and legs, so I'll be his. No time for tired. Nothing can disable this love. He needs me, but I'm the lucky one, even though I need help now and then. If you're caring for a loved one, visit aarp.org caregiving for care guides and community. Support for your strength. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Single payer is what it's called. And you are with Steve Larchuk at Healthcare Politics with Steve Larchuk. I'm an attorney and a healthcare advocate, and today we have another special guest. And this time it is conservative writer, professor of law at the George Mason University Antonin Scalia School of Law. He was a supporter of Donald Trump during the election. Uh, during the election, he actually was a contributing speechwriter for Donald Trump Jr.'s speech to the Republican National Convention. Uh, here at uh, Healthcare Politics, we welcome all points of view, and if we're going to solve America's healthcare challenges, we're going to have to talk to one another, we're gonna have to do it together. Uh, it, it can't happen unless we start having some dialogue. So we are very uh, happy to have invited him on the show because our producer, uh, Doctor of Public Health, Ann McGeary, noticed that he had written a uh, opinion editorial for the New York Post newspaper. And the headline was, Why Trump Should Embrace Single-Payer Healthcare. Let me just, I know that's hard to believe. Why Trump Should Embrace Single-Payer Healthcare. So this is um, yet another article, which is what makes this so intriguing. 
This is another article by an important conservative who recognizes that single-payer or some form of Medicare for All is inevitable and desirable. Uh, a few weeks ago, it was Charles Kaufhammer, uh, Fox News, Fox News for goodness sakes, who wrote, a national, a broad national consensus is developing that health care is indeed a right. Uh, also, uh, Charles said, it suggests we may be heading inexorably to a government-run single-payer system. It's what Barack Obama once admitted he would have preferred, but didn't think the country was ready for it. It may be ready now. So, uh, we know the country's ready. Uh, if you just look at some recent polls in January of 2017, 60% of Americans responded to a Pew Research Center poll saying, they believe the government has, a, has the responsibility to ensure health care access, 60%. And this exactly matches another poll, a similar poll per, uh, conducted by The Economist, where 60% agreed that Medicare should be expanded to all Americans, 60%. This is, this is amazing. And when you push, uh, push that study a little bit further, even 40% of the people that voted for Donald Trump agree that Medicare should be expanded to everyone. So if you're, if you're a frequent listener to the show, you know that uh, this is what we've been saying for weeks. But back to Professor Buckley's op-ed in the New York Post. Uh, it was printed on March 30th of 2017, which is just a little while ago. Uh, and he notes that during the campaign, uh, Mr. Trump promised a plan that would leave no one uninsured, which is another way of saying everyone would be insured. Uh, so he, this uh, Professor Buckley, totally rejects what he calls Ryan Care. And uh, his description is it's something that only an accountant or a right wing, right wing ideologue could possibly love. And he goes on to say the simplest way to do what Donald Trump said he wanted to do was a universal health care system on the Canadian model. And when it comes to Canadian health care, a lot of people like me uh, who visited Canada, but that's about it, who really only have a passing expertise when it comes to the Canadian system, Professor Buckley is, in fact, Canadian. He was born in Saskatoon. I, I've been waiting my whole life to say Saskatoon on the radio. So he was born in Saskatoon, Canada. And so he also became an American citizen, U.S. citizen, I should say, just a couple of years ago. So here's somebody who actually knows what he's talking about. He, he grew up and lived in Canada. And, he's, and as you'll hear during the interview, which we'll tee up here in, in just a bit, he said the Canadian system is great. Everybody is happy with it. His one criticism is that they should spend more money on drugs, but otherwise, he said it, it's a very good system. Now, the other thing, and I'm going to, this is something you really shouldn't do, but I'm, I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to read this, a piece of this op-ed because it's so perfectly stated. And you can tell that Professor Buckley is basically talking to Donald Trump, which, and this, as you know, this is how you communicate to the president. You put it through the media. You can't actually walk in and talk to him or write him a letter. It has to be uh, on television, maybe in the newspaper. So even the people that have his ear don't have his ear. 
unless they put it through some other media. But here's what Professor Buckley said. He said, now let me tell you who'd support this. The people who elected Trump in 2016, they aren't right-wing ideologues. They are people who have lost or fear they will lose their jobs. Many were but a few steps away from the diseases of despair, social isolation, drug and alcohol poisonings, and suicide that Ann Case and her husband, Nobel laureate Sir Angus Deaton, tell us have lowered the life expectancy of white Americans. The defeat of Ryan Care is the tr thus a victory for the Trump agenda. If used wisely as a means of reinventing the Republican Party as a party of working Americans of all races and ethnicities, excuse me, ethnicities, split the Republican Party if need be. Send the Charles Koch Institute packing. The defeat of Ryan Care shows the party needs splitting if it's not entirely split already. And finally, he says, Leave behind all the people who hated you, who cursed you when you succeeded. Reach out to the people who voted for you. Challenge the Democrats by offering them what they've said they always wanted. So in other words, here's a conservative saying to the president, call the Democrats bluff. Advocate single payer. Call the Democrats bluff. Get out there in front. And it's, it's basically saying it's good politics, and more than that, it's good policy. So, wow, wow, wow. Um, after our next break, uh, you're going to hear this interview with uh, Francis Buckley, Professor Francis Buckley. We taped it last week, last Thursday. Uh, he's a busy guy. He's been on CNN, Morning Joe, uh, he's been on the Rush Limbaugh show. We're, this is a serious person who we're talking about who has, who's coming forward and, and sticking his conservative neck on the line a little bit. So it's wonderful that we have him, and I thank our producer, Ann McGeary, for having the, the cleverness and the, the optimism to reach out to him to see if he'd be willing to talk to us, and we managed to get the time. So it's a, it's a don't-miss interview. Before we take a break in advance of that um, interview. Uh, we are here in Holy Week, and whether you're uh, very religious or not very religious at all, it's, a, it's the week for Christians around the world. Uh, before coming on today, I did a little, re little research, and I found out, many of you probably already knew this, but I found out that of if you read the four Gospels, the four principal Gospels, Jesus performed 37 miracles. Almost all of them involved healing. Not once did he use his powers to cut taxes. And he certainly didn't use his powers to cut taxes so that he could take away healing from other people. Those in Congress who believe that they're there to do the Lord's work, and many of them are really happy to tell us that's why they're there, if they really mean it, they may want to remember that Jesus performed 37 miracles and not once did he cut taxes so he could take health care away from other people. So we're going to break here and go to just a few commercials. When we come back, uh, we're going to listen to 
uh, a person who I suspect is going to be on the front lines and in a very unexpected, uh, but if I could say it during this week, blessed way. So this is Steve Larchuk, Healthcare Politics with Steve Larchuk. We'll be right back. Problem solved. Soaring costs and less access is where we evolve. What are all the things you witness online in a day? Cats playing piano, selfies on your feed, your friend's picture being turned into a nasty meme that's been shared 50 times? 51, 52. When someone's being bullied online, it's hard to know what to do. Now you can speak up with the witness emoji. It looks like an eye in a speech bubble, and it's in the symbol section near the clocks in your phone. You'll let the world know it isn't cool, and you'll let your friend know you care. Learn more at eyewitnessbullying.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council. You're not wired to have a response to this sound. You're neutral to it, and you can hear it repeatedly without feeling anything. But when we introduce a new stimulus, save the food. We've achieved pulling a natural or inborn response from you. Save the food, because 40% of all food in the US never gets eaten. Save the food. Cook it, store it, share it. Just don't waste it. For tips and recipes, visit savethefood.com. Brought to you by NRDC and the Ad Council. When it comes to saving money, don't act like a baby. Goo goo gaga. Be the boss and make a budget. I'm the boss, baby. You're the boss of me. I am the boss of you. Or not. M2. Or not. M2. Need a little help? Aren't you going to do any work? I'm very busy delegating. Create a personalized savings plan. We can share. You obviously didn't go to business school. And get other tools and tips at feedthepig.org. Brought to you by the American Institute of CPAs and the Ad Council. Imagine if I told you that an earthquake was going to hit tomorrow right where you live. That it would be 6.5 in magnitude with aftershocks occurring twice 25 minutes apart. You'd no doubt talk with your loved ones and you'd make a plan today. It's true, I can't tell you an earthquake will happen tomorrow. But what if it does? Shouldn't you have a plan? Go to ready.gov communicate and make your emergency plan today. Don't wait. Communicate. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. This is Mario Andretti. You know me as a race car driver, but I'm also a Meals on Wheels volunteer. I've raced against the sport's biggest personalities, but I've never met more vibrant, amazing people than the seniors served by Meals on Wheels. You can make a difference by dropping off a hot meal and saying a quick hello. So America, let's do lunch. Volunteer your lunch break at americaletsdolunch.org. This message brought to you by Meals on Wheels America and the Ad Council. And welcome back to Healthcare Politics with Steve Larchuk. I am an attorney and a healthcare advocate for many years, and many thanks to our national sponsor, Pair Networks, world class web hosting and domain registration. Learn more about them by going to pair.com, that's P A I R.com. And today we have a very special guest, and I have a feeling this is going to be a very uh, interesting show. Our, our shows are never scripted, and this one certainly isn't scripted. Uh, welcome to the show, Professor Francis Buckley. Are you there? I'm there. Thanks very much. Call me Frank. Okay. Well, Frank, uh, thank you so much for, for joining us today. Uh, one of the things we try and do here at Healthcare Politics is get different points of view, 
And uh, as the name of the show implies, it's all about healthcare politics. But in your role, uh, you do many things. And I just want to take a moment to educate the listeners about who you are. So I'm going to take the liberty of reading some of the biographical information that was uh, available. You're a professor at George Mason University at the Scalia School of Law, which is sort of a tip-off that it might be a conservative uh, sort of point of view. Uh, You're a frequent guest and have appeared on Morning Joe, CNN, Rush Limbaugh, uh, C-SPAN's Washington Journal, Newsmax, Radio France, uh, and uh, CBC, the Canadian Broadcasting System, NPR, and uh, many others. You're the senior editor at the American Spectator and a columnist for the New York Post. And I should say that that's actually how you came to our attention. My producer and booker, Ed McGarry, noticed uh, your op-ed piece recently published in the New York Post, the title of which is Why Trump Should Embrace Single-Payer Health Care. So that, of course, uh, caught our attention. You also uh, write uh, for the Wall Street Journal, USA Today, U.S. News, National Review, American Conservative. But you also are a book writer, and your, your most recent book that's been published is called The Way Back, Restoring the Promise of America. Uh, it previous book, which was very well received, uh, was titled The Once and Future King. And that book, as I uh, understand it, was really about the um, the abandonment of Congress of its role in government and just letting the presidency become much more than it was ever intended to be. That's not the topic of our conversation today, but it's it's certainly something that we all worry about. You know, when your guy is president, you don't worry about it quite so much. But when the other fellow is in charge, you get a little bit nervous. Uh, you also have uh, books called Fair Governance and Just Exchange, uh, The Morality of Laughter, and that could be a show in and of itself, I suspect, uh, The Fall and Rise of Freedom of Contract, and your current project is a book on corruption in America. And so you are uh, a lawyer by training, but you were born in Canada. Is that right? You're actually a Canadian? That's right, yep. And you became a U.S. citizen on April 15th, 2014. And if we had... Tax day. That's right, tax day. And if we had unlimited time, we'd talk about the fact that every April 15th, the Republican-controlled Congress passes a bill to repeal what they call the death tax. And I, I expect they'll do the same in about two weeks, but the difference is they may actually get somewhere with it this time. So we'll, if we had other, if we had unlimited time, we'd talk about that. But I wanted to, to just uh, let the audience understand that you have, uh, you're a proud conservative uh, and were even involved with the Trump campaign in some ways. Can you ch- tell the audience uh, what you did? Well, yes, I helped write speeches, and I also assisted on transition matters. And uh, I climbed on board fairly early, back around uh, more than a year ago, in fact. So, um, yeah, so that was uh, that was a fun exercise. And what appealed to me about Trump was that he was a very non-traditional Republican. I thought that that's what they needed. I thought they had invested too heavily in a heartless right-wing ideology, and that what Trump promised was something very different and something that reached out to ordinary Americans, and we very much needed that. Well, it's as I was doing research to prepare for today's interview, I noticed that there was some controversy. Uh, the allegation was made that 
one or more of the speeches given at the Republican convention were actually uh, lifted from your writings, uh, it, and you no, had to actually it was defend them. It was, it, yeah, it was the stupidest thing in the world. See, what happened was, uh, you know, as ac- academics recycle their stuff, and in writing the speech, I, I guess unconsciously had recycled something that I had written before elsewhere in an article, and you know, for about fifteen seconds, there was about a great scandal, and then I real then everybody realized that I had just you know I wrote the speech for Don Jr. and uh, at the convention, and uh, I had lifted something that I had previously written without you know without really noticing. So you know, so very quickly, everybody realized there was nothing there. Well, but, yeah, okay. Know, well, that that settles that. It was you wrote the speech, and you were just using some of your old stuff that you liked yeah. uh, the best. W- let's talk about that, though. What what really attracted you to the Trump campaign? I mean, there were what twelve, sixteen, like seventeen Republicans running for the nomination at various times, and they pretty much ran the gamut from Rand Paul, and you know, often his particular spoke of the wheel and and everybody in every other direction. What was it about uh, Donald Trump that made you think he actually could well, do an effective he, job? I mean, there were, there were a couple of things. He had a, a somewhat spotted personal history, but then again, how did it turn out last time when we nominated a Later Day Saint? Sanctity didn't get us very far. You're talking about Romney. And as for, as, you know, as for his personal foibles, yes, you know, you, you know, I mean, you sort of, you know, Colby many to the ordinary person, and the fact is that, um, you know, everybody in the race was, uh, well, there really weren't any saints. So, you know, if, if people wanted to tell me, oh, golly, your guy is just terrible, I wanted to answer, well, that's that's very true, but have you thought for a moment about how truly despicable your fellow is? But in any event, at, 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 a, at a level of policy, I, I really was sick and tired of a uh, of the hardcore ideologies on the right, which you know, which just didn't pay attention to people. I, I had dinner early on with a guy who was with the Charles Koch Institute, and he, he chided me for supporting Trump. He said, well, "You know, what about his entitlement policies?" And I thought, oh, you know, you chump. See, where he saw entitlements, Trump saw people. Well, uh, now do you still how I felt about healthcare? Okay, now it's no secret that um, I didn't vote for Donald Trump, but I'm fascinated by really the smart people like yourself who did. So, what did you expect Donald Trump would do, and is he doing it? Well, nothing as much, uh, not all that much has happened up, up to now. Um, about the only thing which really has happened has been the Gorsuch nomination. Gorsuch seems to me a fine fellow. Uh, Merritt Garland seemed to me a fine fellow. I, I, I knew Garland slightly. Um, you know, uh, that's on track. Foreign policy is is very much up in the air, but it seemed to me that Hillary Clinton would be the war president, and one hoped that Trump would be the peace president. We're going to see how that one turns out. As to domestic policy, um, I like the emphasis on jobs. And I thought that the Democrats had embarrassed themselves with issues that appeal to an elite in a class society that we've become. But uh, these are issues that have that don't speak to the bottom 
90% of Americans. Those people here in my area who get upset about the name the Washington Redskins aren't people looking for jobs. Well, and Trump said, I'm going to be the jobs president. We're going to take... So uh, I thought, let me just interrupt you for a minute, Frank. We have to take a break, and we'll be right back. But when, this dovetails nicely with the theme of your, your most recent book, The Way Back, Restoring the Promise of America. So when we come back from break, I want to transition into talking about that a little bit because you do talk about inequality and immobility in that book, and I want to talk about that when we get back. This is Healthcare Politics with Steve Larchuk. You're listening to Win Workers Independent News, a diversified media enterprises production. I'm Doug Cunningham. The political revolution that Senator Bernie Sanders envisioned and helped build as he ran for president lives on in our revolution. Former CWA President Larry Cohen heads an effort by our revolution to build a winning mass political movement around working class issues. Jobs and economic issues for sure but also linked to other vital issues affecting working people. They're all economic in some way, but we would link them together because that's, in this country, the only way you're going to build the kind of inclusive mass majority movement you need. We have to link them together always. I think there are obvious links, but we've got to consciously be talking about racism, consciously talking about the devastation of climate change. But yeah, the core is jobs. Cohen says to win support among working class voters, our revolution has to be rooted in issues that really matter to working people and make that obvious to working class voters no matter how they voted in the last election. Workers turned off by Hillary Clinton in November who voted Trump often said at town hall meetings that they liked Bernie Sanders. Cohen says that underscores the need to organize around strong worker issues and never back off those issues even in more conservative small towns and rural areas. That's why we're trying to be in the 3,000 counties, not just in the 500 that Clinton won and that where Democrats tend to do well in this country, but to be in those small industrial towns like in Iowa, the Bettendorfs and the Waterloos, and also in rural Iowa, rural Wisconsin. I think you have to organize everywhere, not just where we're immediately popular. Workers at Nestle Logistics and Distribution Center in Georgia will be represented by the RWDSU after a union election. The workers at the McDonough, Georgia Shipping Center fought for several months to create a strong voice in the workplace. RWDSU will represent 102 workers at that facility. Edgar Fields, president of the Southeast Council of R. Edgar Fields, president of the Southeast Council RWDSU, says neither union-busting efforts nor flood and gale force winds could deter these workers from defending their right to organize, and now it's our turn, he says, to fight for them. A group of Lawrence County, Pennsylvania corrections officers and cooks are voting Tuesday on whether or not to join the Teamsters. They'll vote by secret ballot in two shifts Tuesday morning and afternoon. The Pennsylvania Labor Relations Board is conducting the election. These workers had a union until mid-January, when Construction and General Laborers Union Local 964 ended the representation. If the Lawrence County Jail Workers vote union on Tuesday, they will be represented by Teamsters Local 261. WIN is made possible in part by the OPEIU, the Office and Professional Employees International Union. You've been listening to WIN, Workers' Independent News. For more information, visit laborradio.org. Hi, I found a toy dinosaur over on the playground by Smith Street. It had this phone number on it, and, well, I just wanted to make sure the dinosaur made it back to its little owner. 
when I found the little sippy cup, I just had to give you a call. It's for a kid, you know? I know my son gets super attached to the smallest things, even a fire truck, and I'd be happy to drop it off. We'd do anything for kids, yet one in six children in the U.S. struggle with hunger. Help end childhood hunger. Contact Food Bank of West Central Texas. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Hope you enjoyed your meal. And I just want to say, he's lucky to have a brother like you. Lucky? Caring for my brother is far from easy. But he's a part of me, like my arms and legs, so I'll be his. No time for tired. Nothing can disable this love. He needs me, but I'm the lucky one, even though I need help now and then. If you're caring for a loved one, visit aarp.org caregiving for care guides and community. Support for your strength. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. And we are back with Healthcare Politics with Steve Larchuk and our very special guest this week, Professor Francis H. Buckley of the Antonin Scalia School of Law. He's a professor of law there, a distinguished professor, foundation professor, and the author of many books. Uh, Most recently, he had an op-ed piece in the New York Post titled, Why Trump Should Embrace Single-Payer Healthcare. But we're going to start this segment with a little discussion of uh, his most recent book called The Way Back, Restoring the Promise of America. And as I was reading it last evening, I, I was pleasantly surprised to see how much time you devote to the concept of inequality, uh, of uh, wealth, and uh, you even talk a lot about immobility. And I do want to transition into a discussion about health care because if you have inequality and immobility in health care, people die. If it's in yeah. the economics, maybe you don't have a car or, or a very nice car. But let's let's talk about that a little bit. Why is it that a conservative Republican is so concerned about inequality and immobility? Well, you know, inequality is something where I was going to live with, but I think immobility is the greater problem. I mean, immobility is what happens when inequality hardens over generations and your kids don't care as well as your parents. It's a huge issue. It's the issue upon which I think Obama won in 2012. Um, it's um, it's something everybody should be worried about, and indeed, for the first time in history, Americans report that they don't think their kids will do as well as they did. That's a question of human freedom, right? I mean, you know, you know, those people who emigrated here, right, which is pretty much all of us except those people who were taken here by force, African Americans, you know, or Native Americans. Um, you know, we we often didn't think our ancestors really didn't think they'd have it as you know any better off here possibly than back in the old country. But their kids would do well, and all of a sudden that's disappeared. And I wanted to talk about why that's a pressing problem. I mean, the Republicans were a, the the party of mobility back when, but now what's happened is we've created a, a crony capitalist society where the rules are rigged against ordinary people and uh, you know and, and and we seem to and the republicans seem to make protesting noises about it but they you know they, they they're not doing anything nobody is actually and when i look more carefully at this and by the way when i moved from canada i had the very s- strong feeling that i moved to a class society and then when i looked at the numbers i found out that was true and I mean, and and it's not true in other countries, right? Other countries are, are are just a lot a lot more mobile than we are. And so, what bothered me about this was, you know, the left 
had properly identified the issue, but the, there were theirs were the policies that made it happen frequently. And and the right, I think, in many respects, had the right answer, but they were simply too heartless to care about it. Well, there was uh, a president that once talked about compassionate conservatism. It sounds like maybe he was talking about you. Well, yeah, except I didn't block that crowd. I, <laughs> I, I, um, I didn't, you know, I'm, um, you know, I was very happy when in the South Carolina the primary, uh, the debate, um, Trump denounced W's war policies. I think they were profoundly stupid, and and I don't like our refugee policy right now. I mean, look, we've, we've created a problem in the Middle East, and we walk away from it like a child who's broken a, something in the antique store and just walks out the door. Right? So when, when you say you're... It's a separate issue. When you yeah, say you're, I, I, you're, you're for allowing more refugees to come in because you feel we owe it, uh, sort of the uh, right. the Powell absolutely doctrine, right. we broke it. Exactly. Well, let's get back to health care. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah, getting back to health care. You know, my there's so much profound ignorance here about any other country, and uh, you know, and one hears horror stories about the way it works in Canada and. And that's just silly. I mean, it's. I mean, I, I know how it works. I've lived there. Um, my mother passed away a few years back at age 104, and in the last six months of her life, she'd do a slip and fall once a month, and she'd be brought into the hospital, and they'd say, well, there's nothing broken, but we want to keep you here an extra week just to check out your kidneys. So in the last six months of her life, a 104-year-old person spent one week a month in the hospital where she got absolutely premium service. So, you know, don't tell me the system is broken. I mean, Canada is the, you know, the highest satisfaction level of any country, uh, you know, in the first world as to its medical care. And there's no conservative politician up there who'd want to change it. I mean, I've spent a lot of time talking to uh, Tory uh, policy experts in Canada about what they do with Canadian Medicare, and they've got some good ideas. You know, there, there are a lot of things you've got to, you know, you've you got to tweak here and there. But a massive change, no, nobody would ever do that. Well, so if if you were king, uh, if you yeah. if you were, let's say you were Steve Bannon, uh, and oh, you God. you had, I know, sorry, but. Uh, he may be out by the time we play this tape to the public, but let's yeah. let's pretend that uh, you have a, a position that you slotted into that spot, and so you could tell the president. I don't, I don't. Yeah, I don't know what I could do because actually, you know, what should be happening right now is a reach out to moderate Republicans into the Dems, but the uh, the politics of Washington today are so toxic. I don't know if such a deal is possible. So what I do in that case is I simply say, here's the deal. You know, here, you know, there, there, there's a lot of stuff on the table, and mostly it's inconsistent with what I said, which is I want everybody to be insured. Um, speaking for Trump now, and 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 since the Republicans in Congress and Paul Ryan can't do that, I just want you guys to know here's what I would do, and let's see what the Dems do about that. I mean, at that point, the Dems would have to decide. You know, either we climb on board with that which we have demanded forever, or we just show that we're petulant. Well, so in other words, you're you're suggesting that the Republicans call the Democrats bluff and say, "Okay, 
you want Medicare for all? Let's do it. Here it is. Let's do it. Okay. Totally. Well, we're on the same page there. I think the, the Democrats are hiding under their bed under the assumption mm-hmm. that the Republicans and Donald Trump will never, ever get their act together, and that's a mistake. Uh, they well, eventually I will. Don't know. They're, they're betting on Republican stupidity. I mean, that one's paid off pretty well in, in recent years. Well, I don't know. They control both houses of Congress, more or less. Of course, it's funny. Yeah. People say the Republicans control the Senate. Uh, that's sort of like saying that back in the 60s, the Democrats control, controlled the Senate. Uh, this, there were all sorts of Democrats that were extremely yeah. conservative, and they, they would be as conservative as any Republican is today. So... Uh, it, controlling things isn't what it used to be. What we're going to do is we're going to take another break, and when we do, I hope we can chat a little bit about the cost. I always tell people if the first thing you talk about is money, you'll never talk about the second thing. So we talked about the other things. So when we circle back, let's talk a little bit about the financial path back to the promise of America. This is Steve Larchuk, Healthcare Politics. We'll be back in a moment. This is Mario Andretti. You know me as a race car driver, but I'm also a Meals on Wheels volunteer. I've raced against the sport's biggest personalities, but I've never met more vibrant, amazing people than the seniors served by Meals on Wheels. You can make a difference by dropping off a hot meal and saying a quick hello. So America, let's do lunch. Volunteer your lunch break at americaletsdolunch.org. This message brought to you by Meals on Wheels America and the Ad Council. You're not wired to have a response to this sound. You're neutral to it. And you can hear it repeatedly without feeling anything. But when we introduce a new stimulus, save the food, we've achieved pulling a natural or inborn response from you. Save the food, because 40% of all food in the US never gets eaten. Save the food. Cook it, store it, share it. Just don't waste it. For tips and recipes, visit savethefood.com. Brought to you by NRDC and the Ad Council. What if I told you that a tornado was going to happen tomorrow, right where you live? That it would touch down at exactly 3.17 p.m. and I told you the exact path it would take. You would, of course, prepare. You would talk with your loved ones and you'd make a plan today. It's true, I can't tell you a tornado will strike tomorrow, but shouldn't you have a plan anyway? Go to ready.gov communicate and make your emergency plan today. Don't wait. Communicate. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. When it comes to saving money, don't act like a baby. Goo goo gaga. Be the boss and make a budget. I'm the boss, baby. You're the boss of me. I am the boss of you. Or not. M2. Or not. M2. Need a little help? Aren't you going to do any work? I'm very busy delegating. Create a personalized savings plan. We can share. You obviously didn't go to business school. And get other tools and tips at feedthepig.org. Brought to you by the American Institute of CPAs and the Ad Council. Single payer is what it's called. We are back. This is Steve Larchuk, healthcare politics with Steve Larchuk, and my very special guest this week is Professor Buckley, who is a conservative and uh, supported Donald Trump and uh, has been a terrific uh, resource to help us understand the thinking of that. And we have talked a lot about various issues with a focus, of course, on single payer and 
healthcare and his experience as a Canadian. He's actually a person with dual citizenship. He's a citizen of Canada and a citizen of the United States. And I wanted to use the time that's left to us to talk a little bit more about your book, The Way Back, Restoring the Promise of America, and talking a little bit about how we pay for things. Uh, and I'll, I'll start with a question, and I, I gave you this question when we talked before, so uh, you can give whatever answer you like. This little part may be a little scripted, but the question is this. Can the United States bounce a check? And having had some time to think about it, what do you, what's your answer to that? Yeah, sure, it can bounce a check. It's just never going to do it. I mean, the consequences would be too, too uh, drastic. So, um, you know, there's always a theoretical possibility of anything, but in reality, it's just not going to happen. So, if it's not going to happen, I think we need to address something that was, I think, missing from your book when I was reading it last night. You don't talk about the impact of 40 years of trade deficits. And I've done the math, and it, if you added it up and adjusted for inflation, it's about $18 trillion. And by definition, that's money that has gone overseas and not come back. And if you add to that the money that's floated up to the 1% uh, in terms of the inequality that you discuss in your book, when you add up those two figures, it's close to 20 or $30 trillion, which has been sucked out of the working economy. Do you think that actually impacted the middle class and created some of the immobility that you're talking about? Well, yes and no. Um, you know, the crony capitalism bit, no question, no question about that. With respect to trade, I'm I'm kind of agnostic about that, and I'll tell you why. I mean, you know, like the country I came from, Canada, is much more free trade than, than, than this country, and it's done very well for that. So I don't I, I don't know if I'd, I'd blame trade all that much, but I realize there are other people who have very strong feelings about this, and that's fine. It's just not my area. Um, but as to can this be paid for, well, this is a country that spends more money by far than any other country on health care. And so, you know, you kind of start with the assumption that this can be made to work. Um, as well, you know, when you start counting up all the costs, Think of the things that you can take off the table, and, and, and you know you've mentioned crony capitalism, but, but you know here's some pure, you know here's what we're talking about. We're talking about replacing Medicaid. We're talking about replacing Medicare. We're also talking about replacing all the money individuals put themselves into health care plans, and we're also talking about all the money that companies put into health care plans. And then this can be a, a win-win situation. I mean, right now, an American company is a uh, manufacturing company is required to spend money on a health care plan for its employees. That's not the case with a, respect to a Canadian company. And so this could be a job creator for the United States. Okay. Um, so, I, you know, I, I, I rather think it can happen without severe budgetary consequences and i also think it can happen you know without the kind of false horror stories you hear from canada but look it 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 really is extraordinarily complicated and part of part of the reason why it's complicated is you know when medicare was designed in other countries back when all the costs were pretty much doctor's bills and hospital bills and now a big part of the costs are the drugs Okay, and the drugs are not adequately covered by Canadian Medicare. 
And, you know, so you, you have to find a way of, of fitting that in as well. So, it, you know, it, it, it's all very well for me to say, yeah, I'd like something like an AD Medicare, but I well realize that, you know, to sit down and do it requires a great deal of attention to ensure that you provide a system that, uh, that pleases Americans, even as the Canadian system pleases Canadians more than people in any other country. So what's your reaction to what some people call Trump care, other people call Ryan care, uh, others say I don't care? What do you what yeah. do you think about that? Well, I, I, you know, it's sort of a, a perfect symbol of Republican heartlessness. I mean, you know, the idea was that 20 million Americans were not going to be covered by insurance, which is a, would be a betrayal of Trump's promise. And as for Ryan himself, with his love for Ayn Rand, I don't would never expect anything good to come out of that direction. Well, it's it's so puzzling why the president has embraced the Ryan plan. I mean, you, you covered it for us well, very well. I, yeah, well, I think he embraced it because, um, you know, he didn't have an alternative. In other words, even as Obama kicked the can over to Congress back in 2009, so to, um, and, and, and Obama did that because he realized, you know, how terrible it was when Hillary tried to do it in the White House, there weren't people around in the White House under Trump who could properly put this together. Ryan had been working on this thing for years and years, you know, for 10 years. Um, and, uh, and so it was natural to happen that way. But that's, that's a, you, know, you know, blame the Republicans in Congress. Trump's main concern was to get the tax deal done. And he realized, you do this, and, and then we'll move on the tax uh, uh, front of, and and. If there are problems with Ryan Care, perhaps we can fix them. I'm delighted Ryan Care crashed and burned. Do you remember a few years ago when there was all this talk about platinum coins? Back in 2012, there was a, a big budget crisis. Uh, we were coming up on the debt ceiling, and yeah. pe people like uh, uh, Paul uh, Krugman even was talking about you could, under the existing law, create some trillion-dollar platinum coins, uh, walk them over to the Federal Reserve and deposit them, and you would have yeah. instantly trillions of dollars that would not be borrowed from the Federal Reserve or from the Chinese or the Japanese or anybody else. And do you think Donald Trump knows that he could do that? Well, I'm not sure if he could. I remember, I, I, we're talking about the debt uh, ceiling mini-crisis of 2011, and the, the question was whether or not, given the fact Republicans control Congress at that point and Obama was in the White House, whether Obama could circumvent Republican obstructionism and just solve the problem by himself. And, and Krugman said, yes, he can. And, uh, and nobody wanted to go there in the end. Well, so you know, it's interesting. And, yeah. and the president, president, I remember this well, President Obama said, we're not, he laughed. He thought it was silly. But in, interestingly enough, Congress, controlled by Republicans, never actually passed a bill to say he couldn't do it. And, no. And so that is still on the shelf as a tool. And I think if uh, the president, if Donald Trump ever finds out that he could just mint two or three trillion dollar platinum coins and he could cover all of the stuff he wants to do, he, he would be doing it so fast it would make your head spin. 
because that's the, that's what he's done his whole career is use other people's money. And if tell him he's got a printing press and he can make his own money, and I think he'd lose his mind. But anyway, be that as it may, we're right. We're yeah. running out of time. And professor, uh, this has been a real treat for for me and for our listeners. Uh, I want to give you a chance with any parting message you might have if you want to direct our listeners to a particular place or book or anything. Well, I described all this stuff in the last book, all the way back, and uh, it was one of the only books, I think, plugged by Trump, which gave me great heart. I thought, probably if that's if he likes the book, either he's a great guy or else he hasn't read the book. I'm take your pick. But... You know, what I was describing was a country which had turned into a class society, and that was objectively a revolutionary situation in you know, Marxist terms, and we needed to do something about it. And so I proposed, you know, really conservative changes in immigration and, and taxes and education, which uh, in the context of this country would be very right-wing, but which Canadians would say, but of course that's how you have to do it. I mean, this country is so much to the left of most countries um, with respect to those institutions. And, of course, you know, people here don't know what it's like in other countries. They have absolutely no clue. You know, and and then when you have something like Medicare in Canada, which works well, um, you have people who say, oh, well, we can't do that, that's socialist. I mean, you know, in the last week since I read the – I wrote the op-ed – supporting Medicare, I've been called a communist, I've been called a Nazi, and I've been called what is worst of all, a Canadian. Really oh, oh, no, not that. <laughs> not that, yeah. <laughs> Professor, I'm but sorry. Anyway, we, yeah, we, so I, I have to I wind it, it up. Yep. I'm very sorry. We could go on, and I'd love to have you back on the show sometime, but we need to wind it up. My director's saying that uh, we're out of time, but thank you again so much, and I do strongly encourage people to read your book. When we come back, I'll have some parting comments, and I'll give the title of, a bo- of the book again so people can find it. This is Steve Larchuk, Healthcare Politics. Many thanks to Professor Francis Buckley. It's been a pleasure. Imagine if I told you that an earthquake was going to hit tomorrow right where you live. That it would be 6.5 in magnitude with aftershocks occurring twice 25 minutes apart. You'd no doubt talk with your loved ones and you'd make a plan today. It's true, I can't tell you an earthquake will happen tomorrow, but what if it does? Shouldn't you have a plan? Go to ready.gov communicate and make your emergency plan today. Don't wait, communicate. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. What are all the things you witness online in a day? Cats playing piano, selfies on your feed, your friend's picture being turned into a nasty meme that's been shared 50 times, 51, 52. When someone's being bullied online, it's hard to know what to do. Now you can speak up with the witness emoji. It looks like an eye in a speech bubble, and it's in the symbol section near the clocks in your phone. You'll let the world know it isn't cool, and you'll let your friend know you care. Learn more at eyewitnessbullying.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Hi, I found a toy dinosaur over on the playground by Smith Street. It had this phone number on it, and, well, I just wanted to make sure the dinosaur made it back to its little owner. When I found the little sippy cup, I just had to give you a call. It's for a kid, you know? 
I know my son gets super attached to the smallest things, even a fire truck, and I'd be happy to drop it off. We'd do anything for kids, yet one in six children in the U.S. struggle with hunger. Help end childhood hunger. Contact Food Bank of West Central Texas. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Adopt U.S. Kids presents Multiple Choice Parenting. You're bringing your daughter to her favorite pop star's concert. Do you A, wear earplugs? Isn't this fun, Dad? I have a soft pretzel. B, remember the moment with matching concert t-shirts. That's going to be 180 bucks. Or we can just take a photo. C, show her how you used to do concerts. We're going crowd surfing. I can't. It's too heavy. Oh, my God. Or D, just roll with it. Woo, Justin, look at us, we're over here! Justin, Justin, OMG, he just looked, I love you, Justin, I love you! When it comes to parenting, there are no perfect answers. But that's okay, because you don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. Teens in foster care will love you just the same. For more information on how you can adopt, visit adoptuskids.org slash AL. A public service announcement from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt US Kids, and the Ad Council. You're not wired to have a response to this sound. You're neutral to it. And you can hear it repeatedly without feeling anything. But when we introduce a new stimulus, save the food, we've achieved pulling a natural or inborn response from you. Save the food, because 40% of all food in the US never gets eaten. Save the food. Cook it, store it, share it. Just don't waste it. For tips and recipes, visit savethefood.com. Brought to you by NRDC and the Ad Council. Thank you all for joining us this week on Healthcare Politics with Steve Larchuk. Many thanks to our guest, Francis Buckley, Professor Francis Buckley, who is the author of a book that I recommend, and I can tell you this is the first time since I've been doing the show that I'm going to recommend a book. It's called The Way Back, Restoring the Promise of America. It's by Encounter Books, April 2016. Of course, you can get it on Amazon or, or better yet, uh, get it through your local independent bookstore. And I uh, endorse that book because it's from somebody who comes from a unique point of view. He's a Canadian citizen who's also an American citizen and speaks uh, a lot of common sense, even though he's coming from a conservative point of view. Many thanks to our national sponsor, Pair Networks, world-class web hosting and domain name registration. You can learn more about them at pair.com. That's P-A-I-R.com. Our music is courtesy of Mike Stout. Our producer and booker is Dr. Ann McGeary. Engineering and technical support is provided by TUE Media. Please visit our website at healthcare-politics.com, healthcare-politics.com. And until next week, remember the words of Martin Luther King Jr. Of all forms of injustice, inequality in healthcare is the most shocking and inhumane. Dare to be reasonable. Please join us next week at Healthcare Politics with Steve Larcher. Well, they had 50 years to get the problem solved. Soaring costs and less access is where we evolved. From infant mortality to our lifespan. We're 37th in the world. I think we need a better plan. Money hungry insures pharmaceutical greed. Outrageous co-pays for the meds we need. In the richest nation we got on this earth. Your health ain't a right. What are all the other ones worth? Yeah.